This is a Federal News Network podcast. The General Services Administration has been busy since passage of the American Rescue Plan a couple of years ago and the Inflation Reduction Act more recently. It's applying funds to fulfill several parts of the president's management agenda. Here with a progress report and a look ahead, GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan. Ms. Carnahan, good to have you with us. Hi, Tom. Great to be with you. Really appreciate uh, all the coverage you've been doing of the great work of GSA. All right. And I want to start with a project that kind of exemplifies everything here. This is funded under the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's kind of an outdoor project, I guess. The San Luis Port of Entry in Arizona is expanding, modernizing, uh, and it just seems to be a signature project going on. You went out personally for it. Tell us about it. So we we got in the infrastructure bill from a year or so ago uh, a lot of money to invest in our land ports of entry. Those are land border crossings. So we're going to be investing in improving 26 of those on the northern and southern borders. And I was able to visit one in Arizona, uh, far western Arizona, uh, in San Luis. It's the second busiest land port in Arizona. uh, And it uh, has been on the list to get money from that infrastructure bill. But also, because we were able to have funding through the Inflation Reduction Act, we're going to be able to not only meet the needs of uh, Homeland Security for the 3 million people, vehicles that cross, and 2.5 million pedestrians that cross this every year, we're going to be able to do it in a really sustainable way. And what I mean by that is we're going to be able to improve that project from what was going to be a lead gold project and now lead platinum. So that's improvements and all kinds of energy efficiency. And we're also going to shoot for making it net zero. This particular community, they tell me, gets 360 days of sun every year, which means it is perfectly set up for us to use solar and other kinds of renewable energies that we know over time lower costs and are more environmentally friendly. So makes all kinds of sense. And this is not exactly a building, right? I mean, or does it... What? Well, it is a building. So we're doing a few things. So these, if you've ever crossed a border, you know, part of it is if you're going by vehicle, you've got to, uh, you know, have have lanes of cars and you don't want to have a lot of those. So we're going to be expanding from eight to 16 lanes for them. Also, the infrastructure we're putting in is going to allow them to do more scanning sort of high high quality and speedier scanning of vehicles to make sure they are secure and aren't bringing things to the contraband into the country. And then there are also going to be buildings, both for the staff, but also for the pedestrians that go back and forth. Because this particular land port has uh, two and a half million pedestrians that walk through every year. Some are kids that are going to school in the United States, but their parents live in Mexico. Mostly, however, it's migrant workers, farm workers, uh, who are providing us with all kinds of food uh, that's produced in that part of Arizona. All right. And there are some little details I wanted to ask you about, only because they were in the release that GSA wrote, but there are low-carbon incorporating materials used for the lanes and the building and the steel, low-carbon concrete, asphalt, and steel. Yeah. Okay. I'm, you're gonna you're gonna get to be as excited about low embodied carbon building materials as I am. This is not a thing I would have thought of you years ago. I would care that much about, but it's really really interesting. So if you think about emissions, there are emissions that come out of your car when you drive it. There are emissions that come out of a building when you put on a heater or air conditioner. But there are also emissions and carbon that is in the supply chain of the products 
that go into your car, right? And so we at GSA and the federal government buy a lot of some things that typically have been really high carbon producing items, asphalt, concrete, steel, and glass. So one of the things we are focused on and some of the money from the Inflation Reduction Act is focused on low embodied carbon building materials. So those four things are really top of our list. And so we announced down there the first tranche of projects, uh, which is eight projects totaling $300 million that are going to be attacking those things. So in the in the IRA, we got about $2 billion to do these low carbon materials and another billion for emerging technologies, which is really, really interesting because they can be federal facilities can be like test beds to really prove out some of these newer technologies, which makes great sense. And then another $250 million for high-performing green buildings. So it really is a triple win as I see it, all of this, because it's not all of these investments. It's not just about hugging trees. Uh, it really is about creating good domestic jobs in a green energy economy and boosting our competitiveness and security, frankly, uh, because we've seen what happens when you're dependent on other countries for your energy, and we cannot have that in the United States. So good for jobs, good for national security, good for the economy, but it is also great for taxpayers because we're going to be lowering energy costs, right? So it's a smart investment. And then obviously it's good for the environment and it's good to you know have a healthier planet for our kids in the next generation so these are all just big wins across the board and gsa is proud to be part of it we're speaking with robin carnahan she's administrator of the general services administration and what about federal buildings writ large and i've been following the various energy reduction Mm -hmm. programs since the clinton administration finally the gsa has carried out on buildings and also mm-hmm. new buildings, new construction. There's been quite a few new construction for federal buildings since those years. What's the next round going to look like? Are there learnings from projects like this that can apply to existing and new construction under GSA's vast portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. look, you, as you said, we've been doing this for a long time. This isn't new. Trying to make our buildings more efficient is, is the same thing we do at our homes. We're doing at GSA across our entire portfolio. And so I've been able to visit a, a number of these. I was out in New Carrollton last year with Energy Secretary Granholm, and we, we saw what was possible with the IRS building, federal building out there. By doing some upgrades to sensors and putting in new HVAC systems and high-efficiency chillers, we were able to reduce energy by 60%. I mean, it's just astounding, right? And cut greenhouse gas emissions at the same time and save $2.5 million a year in operating costs. So these are smart investments. We were up in Portland, Maine at one of the oldest facilities in our whole portfolio. It's a 150-year-old customs house up there. And we put heat pumps in, right, geothermal heat pumps in this old building and cut energy costs by 30 percent, right? Smart investments for the American taxpayer. And the Denver Federal Center, we're putting all renewable energy in. So we've learned a lot by these things. But we also, because of this new IRA money, have the ability to do more of these kind of smart investments that over time are going to save money, improve the environment, and create more jobs. And so one of those is in Lakewood. Uh, Colorado. It's an FDA lab that we're going to be able to, you know, put all kinds of energy savings equipment in and use green proving ground products in there. So we're excited about it. In Chicago, we're, you know, going to be putting glass. I told you glass was one of those high carbon emitting things. 
So we're going to put low embodied carbon glass in, in the upgrades in the federal building in Chicago. It's going to save a ton of money um, and, and reduce emissions. Same thing in the courthouse in Portland, Maine. Same thing in, down in uh, Virginia uh, at the courthouse in Richmond. Uh, we're going to be putting more low embodied carbon glass in. So all of these things are both good for the environment, good for our portfolio, and save money. So we're just going to keep doing it. And while we're talking about federal space, there's lots of calls for the government to accelerate the reduction of space that it needs or uses because people are continuing to telework. We just had the mayor of D.C. tell the government, the federal government, you know, come back or move out so something else can move in. And what are your plans there? I mean, this is a multi-agency, complicated yep. question about yep. what space you really need when people come to work some days and don't some other days. Right. Absolutely. Look, uh, optimizing that uh, federal footprint in the portfolio is a high priority for all of us. We know that we can have this be more efficient, right? And we plan to do that. We're reliant on our agency partners to tell us what their space needs are. And so in in December, agencies were providing these kind of plans to OMB. Uh, and so we're working closely with OMB to take a look at what their agency space needs are. And once we have a look at that, we're going to be able to like begin to focus on how we can consolidate uh, and, and sort of you know rationalize uh, the portfolio. I'll tell you that for all agencies, at GSA included, top of the list here is mission delivery, right? Making sure we are delivering on the mission even in a new work environment. And so as that's all going on and that sort of planning process by agencies, we're not sitting around doing nothing. Uh, we are testing new ideas because we know that how people work and where they work is going to look different. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's probably going to change over time. But what we're doing is testing out new things and making it easy for people to sort of see what space configurations could look like and could be different. Um, we're looking at commercial as well as federal co-working spaces. So if you think about, you know, people maybe not wanting to commute all the way into uh, the center city, but if there's a building closer to home that is a secure facility that they can go work in, then that makes sense. We should experiment with that and see if that could meet some of our agency partners' needs. We're also doing a thing, um, I think later this month, actually, it's called the Workplace Innovation Lab, and we're doing it here at 1800F. And the idea is we have a bunch of different configurations and setups of office space that are more reflective of this new work environment. And so agencies can come in and look at it. They can put their teams in. They can work there for a day. They can work there for a week and just sort of see if it meets uh, their needs. And so it's a little bit of a try-before-you-buy sure. approach. Um, so we're excited about that. And then, of course, we're thinking about disposals and consolidations. And so we have teams that are looking through the whole portfolio to figure out you know, which of these things that do make more sense to dispose of. I will say in all of this, this isn't just the federal government that's going through these these exercises. This is everybody because the future of work is going to look a little bit different than it has looked in the past, and we're trying to get ahead of that. What we what we also are you know sort of interested in observing and and uh, and see from our partners is that one of the new amenities for being in offices is human interaction. Right? Yes, indeed and it is. You don't want to. You don't want to just go into an office and sit in a sit in a closed room on a Zoom call all day and not see other people. You go into an office because you have a reason to interact with people on your team. And so we want to be able to set up spaces and environments 
that sort of encourage that kind of collaboration and that value. But it's safe to say that the consolidations then, if they happen, will be in both leased space and government-owned space. Sure. I mean, we need to look at the whole portfolio. Right. Just like the Army Corps of Engineers is in the GAO building, that kind of thing. Somebody could move into a wing of commerce or something or agriculture. Those kind of conversations are happening all the time. And, and and interestingly, you know, you know, in the past, while people may have been more reluctant to to have those conversations, everybody is having them now. It's very interesting, and it, I think a real opportunity for us. We are up against an ad break. Can you stick with us for one more section? I can. All right. My guest is Robin Carnahan. She's administrator of the General Services Administration. But I wanted to ask you about the American Rescue Plan. That goes back a little bit further than the other two laws we were talking about, mm-hmm. and. There's been a lot of activity under that, and that's two years in, but there's still money left. Maybe highlight some of the some of the spending and accomplishments that GSA has had with that money. Sure. So, yeah, the the American Rescue Plan that was that was a bit before my time uh, at, at GSA, but we have been able to invest uh, some very in some very significant things. The Tech Modernization Fund is one of the places that got significant money. It got a billion dollars in the ARP. And we have been able to really, with that money, scale up that team and operation. We've now issued more than $600 million for dozens of projects. And just so everybody knows what the Tech Modernization Fund is all about, to me, I think it's one of the most sensible, smartest investments we can make as a government because it is for a couple of reasons. One, the normal budget cycle uh, is pretty long and slow and unpredictable. And it's not very normal either. Correct. (laughs) In these days, it hasn't been very normal. But technology needs change really fast. And so you have sort of this out of sync situation where you have fast change and slow funding. And so we wonder why the government is behind on modernization is because of much of it's because of that process. So the tech modernization funds allows agencies to move at the speed of need. If they have some need, they can come to the TMF, apply in a pretty quick way for money and have that turned around pretty quickly. And so they don't have to ask for big amounts. They don't have to wait for years. They can move at the speed of need. And so we also have uh, technologists that are assessing the 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 investment requests, which also makes a lot more sense to me. And so all of it makes sense. And so we've got a great team. Uh, they're thinking about this like investments, which means they've, they're only given money where there's going to be value that's going to come out of it. And so they have invested now in $600 million worth in dozens of projects. And a lot of those have been around cybersecurity, including zero trust architecture for four or five different agencies. And that's actually really interesting, too, because if you have a cohort of agencies, small, medium, large, all kind of doing the same thing, you can get a lot of learnings from that, right, and figure out how to then share those learnings and scale this to other agencies. So that's great. And then more recently, we've been investing in customer-facing services and improving those. So uh, we dedicated about $100 million for that. And there have been lots of really interesting uh, programs that, that have come out of that. So Tech Modernization Fund, that's one set of money that came from the ARP. A lot of that, as I said, has been about streamlining the process, reducing burdens, saving tax money, um, cybersecurity, like all of those really important things we need, we need to do. Another big investment in ARP was uh, 
in the Federal Citizen Services Fund, uh, as you know, and that's been another place where a lot of these technology platforms that can help across the board are so important and they're done. One in particular that we uh, used some of that money for was the childtextcredit.gov website. Um, I don't know if you checked that out yourself, but 61 million kids were able to like, you know, have their tax credits given to their parents using that in a very low friction way. I haven't, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask now. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you should. So that that's, was a big deal. And, you know, it also helped stand up the U S digital Corps, which is another one of these early career technologists coming into government and being deployed in agencies to improve technology. So, yeah, there's a lot of neat stuff that's been uh, we've been able to do because of ARP funding. So the customer experience, as it's now called, for mm-hmm. I guess that's a subset of citizen services, but you want citizen mm-hmm. services to have good customer experience, seems like that's kind of come together in that sense. Yeah, look, this I think across the government, we're focused more on that. You know that the president last year it, you know, had an executive order that he signed on customer experience. And so to have the the president of the United States set the bar on one of the things that we have to do as an administration and all of our agencies is focus on our customers delivering a delightful experience to them that is more like what they get in the rest of their lives and by refocusing on our customers rather than you know internal operations or silos or funding streams is is a sensible way to make sure government's delivering value to the people that we serve. And a quick question on a small contract to something called the American Institutes for Research to, quote, examine the role of the American Rescue Plan in advancing equitable outcomes. What were you actually buying there and what will that tell us? Yeah, that, you know, that's an interesting, uh, interesting question. We as you probably know, uh, we have an Office of Evaluation Sciences, it's called at GSA. And the job of this team is to make sure government programs are effective and efficient and equitable, right? That they do what they're intended to do. And this has been around for a long time. Since 2015, they've done 90 evaluations with 20 different agencies. You can go to the website. It has a whole bunch of really interesting stuff on it. And so this is just another example of wanting to learn uh, whether the policies are working. And so that's what we are that's what we're investing in there. And just a final question on 2023, what are you hoping to do in this coming year? Well, look, I the, the word of the year I told the team the other day is delivery. Uh, we we have three and a half billion dollars to upgrade land ports of entry around the country. We have another almost three and a half billion dollars to to invest in these uh, sustainability and uh, low carbon emissions and improve efficiency of buildings. Uh, The team is ready to go on that. And so this is about execution and delivery this year. Likewise, with uh, the folks on the technology and the fast side, it's about delivering for our customers in ways that reduce friction uh, and make it easier to do business with GSA. So we're really excited about all of that. Yeah, lots of GWAX to get out the door, but that would be a subject for another interview at some time, maybe with it people would. closer to the ground. Robin Carnahan is Administrator of the General Services Administration. Thanks so much for joining me. Great to be with you, Tom. Look forward to talking again. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Leadership Today. 
especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, I'll take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in some my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when he'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. 
uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the at special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the greatest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.